Hi everyone, welcome to SJW, Social Justice Weirdos. I'm Charlie McCorn. I use they, them, their pronouns. And I am Lenny Peppers. I use she, her, hers pronouns. Hello, Lenny. How are you today? I am doing great. That is, that is good to hear. Uh, I'm very excited for today's episode. You gave me a little sneak preview earlier, but I'm happy to get into it. Yeah, well, I'm super excited to get into this episode. And I actually, when we talked last and I said I was going to talk about this episode, I was originally going to do it specifically to one, about one specific person. Mm-hmm. And there was so much that I ended up falling down a rabbit hole and having to like kind of regroup myself. And so I'm going to talk about a bigger thing that I can go into more okay. detail. Cool. So what do you got for us, Lenny? So I will be talking about lesbian music throughout the 20th century. Ooh, exciting. One, one, of, one of my favorite subgenres. As an honorary lesbian, uh, it's one of my favorite subgenres of music. So the thing that got me hooked on it was like, I love the song WAP. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Macaroni in a pot, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. And so I started looking for another podcast that I do um, on decolonizing sexuality. I was looking into music and um, specifically sexy music. And I found that there was a time in the early 20th century where blues was just kind of starting to bud. Mm-hmm. Where uh, uh, The Blue Buds, which I hear is a name for rich people also. <laughs> and uh, maybe my upcoming band name. I like it. I like it. In the early 1920s, we had some like really sexy songs happening like in the blues genre. It was called Dirty Blues. Ooh, okay, sure. Uh, This originally started with me wanting to look into the music of Lucille Boggan, who sang under the pseudonym Bessie Jackson. Mm, I can see why she used a pseudonym. That is a way cooler name than than Boggan. Yeah, and her music was, like, dirty. Like, how dirty are we talking here? Like, like dirty for 1920s standards, or... You know, was was she singing about her wet ass pussy? Like, yes, all of it. Uh, it was dirty for 1920s standards, and she was singing about all of the parts. Ooh, all of the parts, like the head bones connected to the to the neck bone. Like, I know that song. That song is filthy if you have a skeleton fetish. <laughs> singing about all the parts. Uh, she had a song called, like, Till the Cows Come Home, Shave Them Dry, The Sloppy Drunk Blues. Um, Shave Them Dry? That that sounds maybe a little unsexy to me. But again, you know, who am I to judge? Yeah, uh, it was, it's all really good. And it's public domain. So maybe uh, James could throw a part of Shave Them Dry in there. Yeah, let's 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 uh let's hear a, a segment of of this song, Shave 'em Dry. I got nipples on my titties, big as the end of my thumb. I got something between my legs, I'll make a dead man come. Oh, daddy, baby, won't you shave 'em dry? No, no, no. Want you to grind me, baby. Grind me until I cry. Say, I fucked all night and all the night before, baby. And I feel just like I want to fuck some more. Oh, great God, daddy, grind me, honey, and shave me dry. 
And when you hear me holler, baby, want you to shave dry. So yeah, that was dirty. That was surprisingly dirty. <laughs> Um, so she's a classic film singer. She's a songwriter and she would just kind of go out and do her thing, like at the clubs and then like, <laughs> sure. Absolutely. She'd, uh, she'd be buying bottles of Patron. She'd be, she'd be fronting. She'd be freestyling. Yeah. She would just like show up like, and just drink on stage. She didn't care what anyone thought of her or anything. Sure. That's why she would sing songs about shaving someone dry. People would be like, well, I guess it's sexy, but we can't stop her. Yeah, sex positive. Sex positive, of course. Listen, when I say when I say shave them dry, I could never say that pejoratively. I'm only like positive. If that's the horse that you are wired to fight, you know, go crazy, you you filthy animal. Sh- shave them dry, you you sex machine. Clearly, like women have been like very sexually frustrated, frustrated in general, but sexually frustrated <laughs> for a very, 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 very long time. I certainly have been. I will agree. That checks out to my to my experience. Yeah. Music became like a way of uplifting like their sexual expression. Sure. Like previous previous to like popular music, there was like um, poetry, you know, and stuff. But sure. The horniest of all art forms. <laughs> yeah. Um, Emily Dickinson also wrote about her wet ass pussy, but no one read it till after she had died. It's very tragic. Right, and and they refused to publish it. it was, yeah. Nobody knows about that, but I've read it. Yeah. We should have an episode on Emily Dickinson's... Wait, let's just put title this one, uh, James. Title this one, Emily Dickinson's Wet-Ass Pussy, and let's see if we get any listens that way. Okay, back to the show. <laughs> yeah. Her music's scandalizing even to today's listener, and so that's where I kind of fell down the, the hole of explicit sexual music throughout time. Sure. And so it turned out that there was this obscure, like, blues movement with all of these different, like, amazing women, like Ma Rainey. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Who wrote, like, maybe one of the most iconic blues songs ever in 1928 called Prove It On Me Blues. So how were how are people hearing her music? Just live? Did she do any recordings? Was she selling sheet music? Uh, she did. She had uh, sheet milk music and she had records. And so she recorded it with a guy named Wayman Sloppy Henry. Boy, was that was that his stage name or or <laughs> did he did he just like really fuck up when they said, hey, 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 music star, what name should we call you? And he said the most embarrassing series of syllables he could come up with. Is that <laughs> is was he like. Kaiser Sozaying around the room. It's like, oh, I'm a sloppy. Yeah. I have no idea who this guy is. I didn't look into him because it's focusing on the, the, the singers. Sure. But uh, the original version was very much more gay. And then pretty soon that they kind of changed it to have more like euphemisms like coffee grinding became there was at that time a euphemism for sex and so that became part of the lyric coffee coffee grinding was yes Ooh, that's that's pretty good slang 100 years ago good for yeah. them mm-hmm. i like like weird secret sex slang from like the olden days <laughs> oh uh, yeah as long as someone is verbing an adjective noun i am all about it uh, then there was um, Lewis Powell. Mm-hmm. 
What was her cool rock star name? So this this was an openly gay male. Uh, his name is George Hanna, singing vocals on um, a track from 1930 called Freakish Blues. Oh, yeah. Of course I've heard the song. You know, she's the kind of girl you don't take home to mother. <laughs> yeah. I was totally going to start getting into it, but I'm not. I'm, <laughs> it's very hard for me not to sing that song. Anyway. That that's exciting. Yeah, let's let's read read us read us some of these lyrics, please. Uh, call me a freakish man. What more was there to do? Just because he said I was strange, that did not make it true. I sent her to the mill to have her coffee ground. Ooh. Because my wheel was broke and my grinder could not be found. <laughs> So these are some- maybe you deleted it and installed scruff instead. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, that one was freakish man blues. There's the boy in the boat one where he talks about like, you know, the clitoris. Um, sure. Yeah, the the hypothetical clitoris. Yes. Maybe cut that out. That joke didn't make any sense, James. Cut that joke out. <laughs> I love that James just listens for us, and yeah, it's so nice to know our editor. <laughs> don't cut that out, James. Just, just kidding. Cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cut it out. Uh, then, of course, like I said, we we have Lucille Bogdan, and she has a song called "Women Don't Need No Men." Ooh, I I, I agree. I agree too. I mean, we don't need them. They're, I mean, they're nice, stupid, but nice. <laughs> hey, if you're if you're a guy listening to this, you're we're not talking about you. You get a pass. You obviously have good taste and are intelligent. We're talking about those other boys that are stupid. <laughs> yeah. So she kind of went, she, like I said, she's a pseudonym Bessie Jack- Jackson. But you'll hear the same phrasing. She talks about how women don't need no men. And she talks about the BD women blues. BD being slang for the term bold dyke or bold daggers in the 19, early, like 1930s, late 1920s. Oh, right. Like the famous lesbian singer BD Lang. <laughs> I am like impressed by your like music pens. I told you, I know lesbian music. I that's the only thing that's the only thing that I know is that Katie Lang was a person. The end. I guess that's the extent like I fell asleep through most of history of rock and roll. So Well, I'm going to get into that a little bit as well. Okay. Uh in a sec. We have the Hokum boys. Somebody's been using that thing and downhearted blues. And so Alberta Hunter was a part of this group and she was one of the lesbian blues divas who had a long career. And she was a successful, basically, as soon as she started in the 1920s, she instantly started like recording, performing on Broadway, and even in London on the production of Showboat. Oh, the uh, the James Whale film? Um, or would that have been the earlier version, I guess? Maybe the earlier version, yeah. And New York society treated her and her girlfriend, Lottie Taylor, like a couple and reported on them in the gossip items and stuff like that. And so they were like um, scandalous, but not in the way that because they were a couple, but just because they were famous. Wow. Good for them. And then, so she actually retired in the 1950s, but then she made a comeback at age 81. Whoa. 
holy, holy shit. Did, did she get like, was she like super into punk rock? Was she just like, well, I'll, I'll show these kids how to sing uh, songs that make people uncomfortable. Like what? what we we, we wouldn't 80s? have punk rock without her actually. <laughs> uh, she was performing and just singing. She was doing the thing that she loved and she did it up until her death in 1988. So she wow. like had a long career. Like think about it. she started like in the early 1920s and she said like kept performing until like 1988. That is that is incredible. That is a hell of a career. Yeah. She- like regardless of regardless of like like sex or gender or I mean sorry regardless of sex, gender or sexuality. That is a bonkers career. That is that is that is the dream. Yeah. Then we have um Gladys Bentley. Stage name or birth name? I, I believe that it was her birth name. Okay. And she was um, about 250, 300 pounds and wore men's clothing and basically had like a white top hat and a tux. Ooh, was, like, nice. She's known for like performing in her white top hat and her tux. There were no other blues singers of the like of those decades that were like openly lesbian. Like they sang about they they had music about it and they sang live about it. But when they performed their music, they would often like tone it down quite a bit. And she was just like, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm out here. So she had songs like Notoriety Papa. He went to the girl next door. Those are two different songs. Was that A side and B side? Um, so she also had the worried blues. I got those worried blues. I got those worried blues. She says this several times. Mm-hmm. Lord, I'm a going where I'd never been before. Um, then she says, I'm going to where the chilly winds don't blow. I'm going where the climate suits my clothes. Honey, babe, don't leave me now. I got trouble on my mind. Listen to the cold whistle blow. Like those are all of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. But was scandalous for the time the idea of a woman singing about a train whistle was completely unheard of <laughs> i'm sure train whistle is like some sort of you know idiot yeah sure or... it's, it's it's secret code for for hardcore fisting i don't i don't know <laughs> well it is now we, we just made that a thing Ugh, i gotta quit inventing all these great sexual sl- slang i know I gotta, I gotta quit inventing all these words i am i am too good at it i'm i'm just a one person sexual revolution yeah, you have to remember when you say it out loud, then it exists. So you Ugh. have to be really careful. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> so she's also known as like the Empress of the Blues. And um Well, I disagree with that. I don't think that the blues should have an emperor. I, I, I think that the blues really kind of is is put around, you know, feeling bad, being down not being the ruler of any kind of art form or or nation or empire. There should be no blues hierarchy. I absolutely agree. In fact, that's against everything that blues stands for. I agree. It's like saying that, ooh, look at me. I'm I'm the president of punk rock. Get fucked, poser, is what I say. Yeah, the president of rap. I mean, it's on my business card, but, you know. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I would vote for you if if I could. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they don't let me vote in the rap elections anymore uh, because I kept trying to make House of Pain happen long after it shouldn't have. Bess- oh, I'm sorry. Bessie Smith was the Empress of Blues, not the other one. Okay. But as we both agreed on, there's there should not be a hi- hierarchy. So we'll just call her the Blues. Sure. 
She was a larger than life figure, and though she was married, her lesbian affairs were far from secret. Ooh. Um, she's quoted as saying during a fight with a girlfriend, I've got 12 women on the show and I can have one every night if I want it. Wow. A lot of power there. She had like affairs with these different women and then she wrote music about them. Uh, one of which was called soft pedal blues. And we know what that means. We <laughs> yes. have art degrees. We know what <laughs> soft pedal means in the artistic uh, world. Yeah. And then she also has foolish man blues. I, I, I know. The, oh, I know those blues. Oh, I know those blues. And so do I, because here's some of the lyrics. There are two things that got me puzzled. There are two things I can't stand. A manish acting woman and a skipping, twisting, woman acting man. And then. So she... <laughs> All right. As as a as as a as a twisted woman acting man myself, I appreciate uh, my inclusion. I feel very seen right now. Yeah. And as a manish acting woman, you know, the same. Mm hmm. So she was, like, featured in, like, magazine articles as, like, the surprising, like, queer roots of the blues. But as we know, like, it started quite a bit earlier than her. Then there's James P. Johnson. He he had, his music was written about being gifted with, like, women's breasts and male genitals. And he recorded a song called the Peach Tree Man Blues singing about his predicament, which is... Uh, the lyric, what some of the lyrics are, my home ain't here, it's down in peach tree land. Everyone down home calls me the brown skin peach tree man. Very interesting. Yeah. And so he, he did, he had female breasts and male genitals. And so like the, his music kind of like talked a little bit about like that struggle. I would, I would, I would hope so. Like as a performer, I know that you need to address things that the audience might have questions about up front. Yeah, exactly. What and I I don't want to I don't want to put I don't want to put this person on blast. Uh, what kind what kind of tits are we talking here? Like what kind of what kind of boobs are we talking? I'm I'm doing some googling right now. I uh, can't wait to search add to my Google history James P Johnson breasts. And there's nothing that comes up. Oh, he backed up Ethel Waters in a song called The Handyman in 1928. Everyone knows who Apple Waters is. She's like one of the classic blues singers. Mm -hmm. And she was open about her lesbian relationship in the 20s with another woman named Ethel Williams. The society columns nicknamed them the two Ethels. Because they were full of worms? Like what? Because <laughs> they were both named Ethel. Oh, I thought you said Apple. The two Apples. <laughs> no, the two Ethels. Boy, that thing I said must have sounded crazy then. Uh, I wasn't going to question it. I thought maybe it was a joke so deep that I just didn't. <laughs> well, I guess it technically is. Like, it's a joke so deep that's only funny to me, someone who misheard something. <laughs> yeah. So it's an audience of me. Yeah. And as we know, everything I do is to make myself laugh. She actually, okay, so she was on Broadway. She was in films and then later in television. And she was actually nominated for an Academy Award in 1949. She started singing blues music by the end of the 1920s, uh, and then her style was more pop. And she was created some of the uh, some of the first recordings of classic songs like "I Am Blue" in 1929 and "Stormy Weather," one of my favorite songs. Okay, okay, interesting. So we kind of talked about the early ones, and I would love to talk way more about like all of this like queer blues movement. 
but I wanted to talk also a little bit about how like that affected us today. Um, okay. And so I'm going to like save the rest of my notes on that for like another time. Ooh, cliffhanger. I like it. Yeah. Um, um, there was a another woman in the 70s. Called, her name is Maxine Feldman. And she was a self-identified big, loud Jewish butch lesbian. Okay. And she kind of cleared the path for music as activism with Angry Athis. Uh, considered to be the first openly lesbian song. Okay, here here are some lyrics. Oh, wow. I hate not being able to hold my leather... I hate not being able to hold my leather lover's hand, except under some dimly lit table, afraid of being who I am. I hate to tell lies, live in the shadow of fear. We've run half of our lives from the damn word queer. It's not your wife I want. It's not your children I am after. It's not even my choice I want to flaunt. Just want to hear my lover's laughter. Feels like we're animals in cages. And have you seen the lights in the gay bar? Not reveling wrinkle, not revealing wrinkles or ages. God forbid we reveal who we are. I hate not being able to hold my lover's hand. Expender some dimly lit table. Afraid of being who I am. No longer afraid of being a lesbian pretty good bam there it is there it is um, listen to this later oh yeah totally me too this is from the 1970s it looks like yeah and i actually started making a playlist of all of this different music and maybe i could throw it on the website once we have that going but yeah sounds good um i think that there's some really really great like underground movement here of people who really just wanted to like rebuke the patriarchy and like celebrate their you know queerness and and they did it through the art that they were making and i think that's really beautiful interesting very interesting this was a this was a real eye opener yeah so then between the mid 1970s and the mid 1980s label a record label called olivia records and i'll tell you more about that in a second but they started putting out releases that publicly uh eulogized same sex desire in and feminist community and so mm -hmm. they held like these big women only concerts and festivals and became lifelines for isolated gay women in the closet or living in like rural parts of the country and these festivals were like basically peaceful political fronts and uh, kind of allowed them to be able to march for their rights and engage kind of quietly amongst themselves and uh, start gaining more support and gaining connections with each other. And so, like, a little bit about Olivia Records. In 1973, five feminists christian their new business, a lesbian record label that would basically become the movement's, like, rallying cry. And so they formed Olivia Records, named after the heroine of a sapphic novel by Dorothy Bussey. They only had like $4,000 uh, to put out a mail order single and that brought them another $12,000 and they used that to make another, uh, produce another song. Um, and then after that, they were able to produce like 60 more singles and LP, LP releases over the next 20 years. Oh, holy cow. Yeah. So um, lesbian record label, 1970s. Very exciting. 
And so that's kind of where I have to stop because I can keep going on this, like after looking into all this stuff for like several days. And I'm, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with all of this, but some, I'm going to have to do something with it. Yeah, I think this is definitely a great subject. I look forward to exploring it more down the road. Me too. And the one thing that I obviously was just kind of uh, at the surface, I would love to do a deep dive and see um, what these movements looked like for Native American people, because I know that there were some really famous early Native American blues singers that influenced a lot of the blues that we hear today. And so I kind of want to look at that as well. Yeah, absolutely. As a as a man acting woman, I am very thankful for this look into my own past, into the past of something I didn't know a lot about. Thank you, Lenny. Yeah, I, I'm super excited about it, too. I didn't know anything about this until I started diving in. And that's what I kind of love about this is the ability to see like these new, cool, weird ways of looking at our history. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for sharing. Anything else? Any, any last thought? Like, what, what do you want to sum this up with? How, how do you want to sort of sum up this sort of talk that we've had? Uh, just, again, about how, like, resonant their voices are in the overall fight for justice that me and you um, are involved in on an everyday basis. How, how great that is. Well, excellent. That sounds amazing, Lenny. Thank you. Thank, thank you for your research. Yeah, and uh, what will we be talking about next week? Uh, next week, I don't know, honestly. I, um, I've i got a couple ideas. I think I might want to check out, speaking of this time from the 1930s and sort of openly queer performers and artists, I think it would be just a, just a shame if we don't talk about one of my favorite film directors of all time, uh, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, the great James Whale. Okay, James Whale. And I'm, I'm excited to hear about that, too, because I only know, like, very little about this topic. He had a fascinating life and created some of my favorite movies uh, that are still impacting Hollywood to this very day. See how the reach is for all of these people, like, way back in, like, the early film days and music days, like, how far of a reach it has. That's, like, so awesome to me. Absolutely. Well, all right. Anything else we need to add? Vote. Yeah, that's good. Be gay. Do crimes. Write your music. Do your art because you never know who it's going to impact in the future. And mm -hmm. if you do nothing else, throw a brick. I'm Charlie McCorn. And I'm Lenny Peppers. Good night. <laughs>